Welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 316, and I am excited to share this conversation that I had with my new friend, Matt Mullins. Matt has a varied background. Yes, he's a hunter, but he's also a wildland firefighter. He is educated in both biology and ecology. He's backed pack in dozens of countries, and he's just an all-around outdoorsman, whether it's hunting, backpacking, fly fishing, biking, skiing, rock climbing, you name it, he's out there enjoying the outdoors. I chatted with Matt about the way that I first came to know of him, which was through the American Gear Guide. The American Gear Guide is a great website that is all about featuring gear for the outdoorsman that is made in the USA. And you can browse by category and look at things, yes, like packs, but even things like headlamps or knives or shoes or skis or what have you. And so I was really curious to speak with Matt about this website, what led him to put it together, and more. We start the conversation talking about American-made gear, but then we transition and move on to actually discussions on the value of hunting, how to converse with non-hunters, and we wrap the conversation in the second half of the show talking about a recent hunt that Matt had in his home state of Utah where he killed a fantastic bull, and really there's a great story behind that. So whether you want to hear about American-made gear, conversing about hunting and kind of the deeper meanings of hunting, or just hear a really good hunting story, there's something for you in this episode. You can always share your questions, comments, or feedback for the show by sending us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And also don't forget about the Exo Experience giveaway that's going on right now this month here in November of 2021. And you can learn about that by looking at the Exo Experience link in the show description are going to exomountgear.com forward slash experience. Right now, though, let's dive into this great conversation with Matt Mullins. Well, Matt, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Excited to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you. Really excited to be here. I'm yeah. looking forward to it for a while. Likewise. I uh, I don't know. I first came across the, the American Gear Guide a couple few years ago, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, started like digging. You got a lot of content and information there and thought it was a really neat site. Um, and then had reached out to you earlier this year and, you know, we're chatting about hunts and stuff like that. And it's gonna be fun. I essentially for listeners will be getting to know Matt right along with you guys, the listeners, but you have a, a diverse uh, background and experience, Matt, in terms of the outdoors. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't even know where to start, but like, go ahead and introduce yourself, whatever you want to share. And then I'm, I'm sure we'll dive into more of your backstory as well. Yeah, I'm Matt Mullins. Um, I started American Gear Guide about six years ago. I was uh, working for the Forest Service at that time, too, and saw that nobody else was doing anything. It's, so I saw that there was just nothing online, basically, to find outdoor gear made in the USA. I had to dig really hard um, for things I wanted to buy, like backpacks, tents. And I thought, well, if this doesn't exist, I am as good as anyone to do it. You know, this has been my life for a long time. My whole career was just based on being outdoors and kind of 
prioritizing experience over making a lot of money and, you know, sitting in an office. So, yeah. That's what do cool. you want to know about uh, American Gear Guide? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, did, had, I guess uh, one question that just comes to mind is, did you have any experience kind of building out a website before that? Or was that all new, <laughs> no. the technical piece? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, no, I had to teach myself everything. I first started on Weebly, just like the, okay. the most basic uh, building block website thing you could you could get. And then I eventually went to WordPress. But mm. no, I had to teach myself everything to do this. And it was just me. Yeah. You know? Just had to research online what to do. Oh, like, I'm not a... I'm not a computer guy i guess i'd say but i guess kind of became one a little bit yeah so leading up to starting the guide i mean you mentioned you personally were just kind of looking for outdoor gear made in the usa uh and this may seem like a super obvious question but where were you at like what was your thinking that you were specifically trying to support american made brands and products for outdoor gear um, again, right. you, you, it's funny to me, some people have different reasons for doing that. And it's weird that some right. people actually almost have like, I don't want to say objections, but I don't know. There's, there's a whole conversation there about the USA gear. And Ab- I think it's absolutely. even, it's shifted from <clears throat> six years ago when you started the site. And it's honestly even shifted, I think since COVID, you know, that there's different, oh yeah different levels of interest and opinions, but for where were sure. you at? leading up to the start of the gear guide of wanting to support American made brands. Yeah. I had always really liked supporting, you know, local, your neighbors, local workers. But um, I think I was kind of realizing I was fighting fire at the time and we were using a council tool, you know, Pulaski's it's like an ax hoe combination and, uh, axes and, you know, our steel chainsaws were mostly made in the U.S. and um, Lots of stuff, you know, boots, Hawthorne, whites, Nicks, boots. I mean, you get firefighters talking about boots will go on for like f- just freaking hours. <laughs> and uh, in our backpacks, too, we had um, we had Mystery Ranch hot shot backpacks. Unfortunately, they've moved a lot of their manufacturing overseas now mm-hmm. i think their backpacks and military packs are still made in the u.s but kind of shitty transfer on that but at the time you know i was thinking wow this this stuff is awesome and you know a lot of most people i'm seeing are not using american-made gear out there and um just wanted to build on that and and dive into it further and i got a bunch of u.s made you know backpacking gear myself and loved it and then just kind of went from there and was building the site when i researched it into it and nobody was doing that i Mm. wanted to make it a lot easier you know for people to find american made it was just kind of a chore you know you had to google search and then go through pages and pages just to find where something was made yeah Um, yeah it's it's uh it's there's some interesting i don't want to say deceptions are right the word the right word but there's some misleading information out there too like brands talk about being like an american brand or u.s like almost make it part of their marketing 
um, even though their products are made in the USA. So it's like a, as you said, like if you just start Googling and looking stuff, like there's been times where you kind of have to dig deep to make sure you're not being fooled on, you know, a quote unquote American company, but they're not actually making anything in the USA. Right. A lot of deception there. And yeah, companies putting little flags on their, on their uh, gear, make it look like it's made in the U S and it's, it's often just designed or even if that Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of built in the USA, which I'd say is certainly better than, uh, than not built in the USA or not, but that's, that's often using, you know, uh, imported materials and then having mm-hmm. the assembly done in the USA or, mm-hmm. I mean, you see that a lot, but you know, the, the best in my opinion is if it's all sourced and, and made completely in the USA. Yeah. Of course. What, um, other than like price comes to mind, what objections, if anything, have you seen to kind of supporting American made companies and brands and did that surprise you in any way yeah absolutely there's i think i'm i'm an independent uh (laughs) you know you get on the political spectrum and and which i don't want to get into too much it drives me insane but (laughs) i've seen a lot of objections as it seems xenophobic to Mm. want to only buy american made um, like people think that that's, I don't know, thinking the U S is, is, uh, you know, superior to everyone else. And, and you're, you're putting down workers in other countries, but I'd say completely against that. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're supporting with American made. Well, first the, our workers have, have struggled and worked so hard to, to gain these standards that we have now, you know, 40 hour work week and, and, you know, overtime pay and all of these safety regulations that, you know, our workers have the proper PPE safety when they're making things exposed to different, you know, toxins. And, and a lot of these countries where, things are being imported from now, you know, they, they exploit the low standards, um, you know, lack of PPE, uh, lack of, you know, 40 hour work weeks and, and just worker rights, basic human rights that, that these people don't have. And they exploit that and they exploit, you know, the super low uh, labor costs, you know, the salaries are, complete pittance in a lot of places. And then the environmental standards, you know, they can pollute, which is a, a huge cost savings too. They can just dump their toxins in rivers and, and whatever they want. So I think in a holistic way, I think buying American made should appeal to anyone on the political spectrum. You know, it's, it's environmentally better. It's, you know, human rights, labor better. You're also not supporting, I'm going to just say, you know, China's the big one, supporting an authoritarian government that, that doesn't support uh, freedom of speech. Um, 
you know, it's a surveillance state. They'll put you in prison for, for simply criticizing the government. And they have a system of, uh, of citizen credits. It's like, a, I don't know if you had CPA in school, but it's like a, a point system, CPA, kind of like your GPA, citizen point average, sort of a, of a thing of uh, if you are behaving well as a citizen, you know, uh, or not. And they take away a lot of privileges if, if you're not behaving uh, right for the government, you know, if you're criticizing or, or <laughs> not doing what you're told exactly, you know, just a crazy system to, <laughs> to support, to, to, you know, to, to send our money to this opposition government, this, this opposition country. It's, I don't know. It's kind of insane in my mind. Mm. Yeah. And that, you know, there's always these, uh, arguments of like, well, you, you can't get everything in the USA, right? Which is like just this straw argument of you're going to have to purchase things from overseas, but it's like, well, okay. Is it, is it all or nothing discussion or can you make an effort to support American made brands and products when possible? Right. Intentionally. Right. (laughs) Which is, I think, you know, what your gear guy does well for anyone who's interested in the outdoors, because your background and experience is far beyond hunting, uh, which we're, we'll talk about yeah. hunting and we'll talk about some of the other stuff. This isn't just a, a conversation about USA gear. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess it leads me to one, one question, kind of one thought I had. You know, there's, there's these weird s- silos um, in the outdoor space of hunting and non-hunting or like even you said wildland firefighting and they have their own brands and their own obviously gear requirements. And that's going to be different Mm -hmm. than a backpacker, which is going to be different than a backcountry hunter and guys like yourself. There's a ton of crossover. I mean, you have your Mm -hmm. interests in many different places, but so many people are only in one vertical and in one silo. Um, And what, and what gear item or like gear category have you found it most difficult to support an American made? Uh, yeah, you, you have your niches and uh, yeah, some people definitely care more about American made than, than other groups. Uh, I found rock climbing <laughs> seems to, seems to be more difficult. They just don't seem to really care about where things are made. Um, there are some forums I've found online where people do, they are looking for American made mountainproject.com. It's a forum for climbers. And some people are asking those questions, but uh, you know, I, I definitely see more hunters buying American made. Um, certainly the tactical group uh, seems to prefer American made more, hmm. but I'd also say it's pretty widespread. Like you can't just completely stereotype sure. uh, all these groups, like people all over are looking for American made. It's, you know, whether they want it to be for sustainability reasons or, or patriotic reasons or, or what, um, you know, you yeah. can appeal. Right. But <laughs> it is definitely funny 
you know, I, I, I do span a lot of different uh, interests, you know, like I grew up both hunting and, and mountain biking, backpacking, skiing, you know, backcountry skiing. I love doing all these diverse things, uh, water sports, you know, rafting, kayaking. And um, hold on, I'm just saying, kind of gather my thoughts. Um, it's, it's funny to see, you know, kind of mixing these different interests and uh, on, my, on my social media, especially Instagram, which is just a really fascinating thing to get into. Like, I never <laughs> thought that I'd be getting into Instagram at all. Like, I'm, I'm the sort of guy that didn't even have, you know, Facebook for a long time and held off on Instagram. And now here I am, you know, I, I want to spread the love and support for American Made and, you know, committed to, to building out my, my social media to do that. Um, and it's funny, you know, getting reactions from people when I'm, I'm posting hunting stuff. <laughs> I got some really funny reactions, uh, comments. It's just insane how much, uh, you know, when you're, you're appealing to, you, you can't appeal to everyone, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have some, some hate regardless of what you do. Right. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't go from supporting, you know, just sustainable, uh, backpacking gear to also doing hunting and not expect some backlash. And I got right. that for sure. People are like <laughs> making fun of me, uh, saying like my, <laughs> I, my favorite one, God, I'd have to read it, but, um, more or less is saying like, you have a tiny dick and you're hunting so you can make yourself feel like more of a man, just like <laughs> the craziest stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyways, my original thoughts was I, I was going to build out a, a website for hunting uh, and, and tactical alone. And then I was going to build out a website just for backpacking and stuff, uh, camping and, and rock climbing, you know, biking, all that sort of thing alone. Because those fears do have some tension for sure. They mm. <laughs> shouldn't. I think it's just silly, you know. Mm-hmm. people don't people don't seem to recognize i think that's a big problem too is uh, people get into their groups and stereotypes and and label label other entire groups you know instead of just accepting individuals as you know individuals with their own unique interests um i think there's kind of i don't know a walling off of uh society to I don't know accepting other groups that have interests other than their own that, that that have a different culture than their own you know growing up hunting is is quite a different culture than 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 not and I don't think people really appreciate how important that is to hunters you know like they, they, I don't think people who do not hunt really understand how connective that is for family and friends and, you know, to place to the land, to the animals too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, God, I could, I could just go on and on, get into, into that deeply kind of how it's a spiritual connection you now of connecting with the land and the earth and, 
what humans evolved to do <laughs> mm-hmm. and gathering. But you know, that, that just kind of goes over a lot of, a lot of people's heads and there's a lot of animosity yeah. uh, when they don't understand um, that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, this is a, you know, we'd have hours of discussion on, on right, topics right. about stuff like that, but I'm, I'm probably going to go off on, on tangents easily. No, I love it. I, I guess yeah. what I'm, you know, what I even personally, I don't want to say struggle with, but like question is what you just wrapped up saying how there's, there's such a deeper meaning to hunting um, for you personally and individually, spiritually, and us as humans and how we've developed and evolved. And even if you look at our, yeah. our capabilities, um, from mm-hmm. a physiological level, yeah, there, there's so much that makes sense with, with hunting. Yeah. So that, that's like on one end, like all this reflection on hunting and analysis of us as humans and our connection to hunting and our history of hunting, like, mm-hmm. so put that on one side, then on the other side, you have someone who's online just saying the only reason you're shooting animals because you are trying to feel like a man because you're not right. Which is completely trivial and false and shallow. And there's such a massive gap between those two things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That trivial, false, shallow caricature that someone throws a random comment out about online. And then your personal connection value meaning to hunting yeah how do we as hunters bridge that gap or do we (laughs) that's my question like do we like because i I don't think it's worth answering every troll on the internet or responding to every comment or anything like that but I, i do feel that we as hunters also have a responsibility absolutely to educate non-hunters who are uninformed, who maybe don't understand hunting, weren't raised in the culture, yeah. et cetera. Right. So it's like, yeah. that's such a weird, you know, that's a weird yeah. spot to be in. Right. Yeah. That responsibility, whether you want to engage or, or not in, in trying to educate people, why you do what you do, why, why you love to hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could go on forever of, you know, there are books written just on why we hunt. <laughs> Some really good ones too. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I guess, because, and I'm, you know, asking you not because I'm thinking like you're the expert or going to have all the answers, but just thinking out loud with you because you are exposed to these different circles, right? These different mm-hmm. silos, you know, you're out rock climbing or kayaking or doing many non-consumptive outdoor activities and then people find out you're a hunter, right? Have you found that there's anything helpful? I guess maybe, honestly, one-on-one conversation is probably the yeah. best thing because getting online is just, I, I don't sure. think there's much value there. But what I guess what has worked, right? Like when have you been able to communicate what hunting means to you or mm-hmm. communicate hunting in a positive light to people who just flat yeah. out don't know or just uninformed and like maybe they're not, yeah. you know? going to go hunt tomorrow, but at least they understand it a bit better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can certainly, you can look at it as an opportunity, you know, to educate people. And and I do think that the hunters have a responsibility and everyone has a responsibility to counter people's uh, 
assumptions and judgments, you know, and people have reactionary judgments, which is what these are um, against hunting. Uh, yeah, I've, I've found it helpful on multiple occasions that I just told them why, explained why I hunt. And I think they do listen and they can understand. Um, after this last hunt, uh, I was telling my cousin, um, and this cousin is from Seattle, which tends to be, you know, not a hunting culture society. Um, really cool place to visit too, though. And I have nothing against Seattle, but, um, <laughs> she, I was telling her that it, it was really satisfying, uh, or it was a really satisfying hunt. Um, and she took it as though it was satisfying to shoot that animal. And that seemed wrong to her. And I had to explain why shooting an elk is satisfying. You know, it's, it's this really difficult challenge and, you know, you're putting a year's worth maybe of meat in the freezer, the best meat you could possibly have. And this, this animal lived a great life out in the wild doing what it was supposed to do and, and explaining, you know, that the, the ecology of the herd depends on predators, you know, all of that. It's that you have to have predators taking uh, elk or any herd or else you have too many animals and they're overrunning the land and overgrazing and, and hurting the entire system. Um, it's just the whole ecology depends on, on hunters and other predators. But, and, and, I, and she listened and I think she got it. Um, <laughs> and I shared some, some elk with her and she, she loved that. So <laughs> that helps too. Yeah. But, the, the, one of the funniest reactions is people who eat meat and don't like hunting. That that just really doesn't, yeah. <laughs> doesn't compute in my mind. It's like the most ethical way of, of obtaining meat is hunting. And then they think you should eat, get it at the grocery store. It makes no sense to me at all. Yeah, it doesn't. And I don't, but, honestly, I don't, the people who hold that opinion, I don't think they've really thought through it either. I just right. don't like, it's such a flawed, like way of looking at things logically that I just don't think a lot of those people have really looked at it logically or sat and thought yeah. about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think probably the main reaction of, of people disliking hunting is I, I think it's like a disgust reaction to the idea of um, blood and guts and the processing of an animal and the taking of a life just seems you know, they're not used to that. They haven't known people who have done it. I think it's just kind of like a, a fear reaction perhaps. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't. A, a lot of people know or can understand that hunters can like love an animal and then also kill mm -hmm. it. Right. Like right, exactly. I'm fascinated by wildlife and yeah. love wildlife and love yeah. that they exist and flourish even outside of hunting opportunity. I would want, yeah. you know, wildlife to oh. exist and flourish if I never hunted them. Me but too. it's, 
yeah, I just don't like, I, I absolutely love and I'm fascinated by and just even love watching it. Like I just, it, yeah, but people can't equate that. It's like, well, if you love it, how can you can shoot it? Right. <laughs> and right. yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, it goes back to what you're talking about with ecology and predators and health of not that individual animal that you may have shot, but health of wildlife as a whole and the role that hunting plays in that and mm-hmm. all those finer points. But so many people, you know, they just never thought about those things or had that conversation yeah. or looked at how animals are managed. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that is a huge part of it too, is, is the realization that we are animals. <laughs> That is massive to me. And, and, and being out hunting really makes you understand that, that you are an animal. You're a part of that system. And that's what I'm talking about, being connective to the land and these animals is, you know, you are a part of that whole cycle. And that's, that's a huge thing, a spiritual thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My, my entire life, I've, loved animals like kind of ridiculous i i had so many pets growing up you know snakes lizards frogs toads <laughs> uh salamanders tons of fish just all over the place horses and dogs and ferrets <laughs> anyways kind of kind of funny uh but my i my whole life has actually been centered on wildlife too i went to school for biology uh and then I went to uh, a master's in um, natural resources with a wildlife biology focus. And I actually thought I was going to be a wildlife biologist. That was kind of my goal. It's all about uh, wildlife. Um, and now here I am doing American gear guide. Never, never kind of thought that would be the, the path that I would follow. Yeah. Well, I did I, good analogy to this conversation. I didn't think we we're going to get that deep into <laughs> hunting and non-hunting and all that, but I think I enjoyed yeah. that. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you include it or not. Oh no, it was great. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a conversation that needs to be had, and one that I think yeah. I, from the podcast perspective, I I don't hesitate to get into it. What I hesitate is um, people thinking that you could take a 20 minute conversation or an hour long podcast and have all the answers or cover the issue holistically. Cause you just flat out can't, you know, Um, it's it's complex. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has their, uh, their own opinions and reasons. Right. I'm going back to the gear guide. Um, Yeah. What is, so since you started the guide, it was, you know, from your own personal interest on, wanting to support American-made gear, but as you've connected with brands or learned more about made in the USA production since starting the gear guide, what sticks out as something or some things that you have learned in that time, or maybe that surprised you um, about brands and gear making things in the USA? Yeah. um, Well, one of them is a lot of people are assuming that American made is more expensive than imports. And that's, that's generally not true. Um, I mean, of course the, the labor costs are 
somewhat higher in the U.S. Um, or else of, uh, they wouldn't be trying to outsource uh, to other countries. But one of the big things is you look at many items made in the USA versus made wherever else, and the prices are pretty comparable. If you're looking at the quality of something, like for example, I'm wearing four low camo. Uh, it comes out of, I think it's whitefish, Montana. Mm-hmm. It's where they're based. And this stuff is, is as high of quality as you can get. And the prices are the same as, you know, um, ah, what's that? What's that brand? Under Armour. <laughs> they're kind of expanding mm-hmm. into everything. Under Armour now has hunting clothes and they're coming out of uh, East Asia, you know, super low labor costs. They cost about the exact same, um, like $380 for, for a really high quality premium uh, soft shell or rain jacket, waterproof jacket. And, you know, you, you, you can decide to either reward this company that wants to keep their career employees employed in in America, or you can decide to send your money to this company that wants to exploit, you know, super low wage labor and, and (laughs) lowered environmental standards made in East Asia. But I think one of the big things I'm realizing just comparing all of these different products and, you know, all of these different spheres is, is the prices are pretty comparable. Hmm. As a, or another, yeah, no, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. No, the other example would be great. Oh yeah. I mean, probably closer to home for you. Um, You know, comparing Kuyu, uh, frame backpacks to Exo Mountain Gear. I, I've been uh, recently, re- recently reviewed the K34800, absolutely phenomenal backpack. And you compare the price of that, which, you know, the prices are, are fairly high, premium backpacks, and compare that with a Kuyu as a similar size bag. Uh, they're not that different. They're, they're, they're pretty close. Um, you know, the, the market is priced the way it is because it's just supply and demand. That's what people will pay. So things are, things are pretty comparable. Mm. Yeah. I think not again, speaking about not speaking about EXO or anything either, but I think you're going to see that gap continue to shrink, um, in not in every, product category or in every every industry but in in more product category categories and more industries you're going to see that shrink um obviously supply chain and transportation and all that has an effect on price of imported goods um and there's definitely going to be some challenges there i think for a few years to come and who, who knows for how long but um i think there's more opportunity and also honestly there's just as there's more interest in made in the usa gear there's more capabilities from a production standpoint. There's, yeah, there's just, there's a lot, honestly, of, of good things happen where I think that it's uh, momentum is headed in a good direction in many ways. Yeah. Um, yeah which is great. Sure. I think people are really taking notice now that, you know, supply chains do matter. 
taking a lot more interest in buying local made in the USA. Speaking strictly as a hunter, if you're going out uh, on an elk hunt as you did this past fall, how much of your gear, whether it's on body, as you mentioned before, low clothing or like a pack or something, or just hunting equipment, right? How much of that for you personally is made in the USA, do you feel like? Oh man, that's going to be a long list. (laughs) Pretty much (laughs) every percentage wise. Like, do you feel like it's okay? Yeah. Like a rough estimate, probably like 90, it's definitely 90 something percent. Um, Yeah. I mean, my bow, all the components on the bow, backpack, camo, boots, if it's cold enough. I'm often wearing trail running shoes now, which unfortunately there aren't aren't really American made trail runners, but, um, you know, pretty much everything. (laughs) Yeah. You know, sleeping bag, tent, uh, cookware. Yeah. 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 It is one thing I, you know, going back to every industry and product category is different, but as you mentioned earlier, hunting compared to rock climbing, for example, like it's hunters have a lot of not only an opportunity to support American-made brands, meaning like, oh yeah, there's this one knife or there's this one, you know, pack or there's this Uh one whatever, but you often have many great choices, right? You you talk about bows, right? Like so many, pretty much all of them, right? It kind of blows my mind how many broadheads are made in the USA. Like researching into that and building out my brand directives holy shit (laughs) so many and then and then backpacks there's like i think i have over 40 in my brand directory and i know there's still more out there yeah and that's obviously including non-hunting packs right mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's that's all over the place backpacks right yeah yeah which is awesome i mean that's what yeah if you guys have if you're listening to this and I haven't gone and check out the gear guide. Obviously we'll have links to the show description, but it is fascinating, man. Like even honestly stuff I hadn't thought of um, things like headlamps, right? So many times when it comes to anything electronic, we just assume you're stuck. Like you just have to go overseas if it's something electronic. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have a whole category there, headlamps and some great options from like Princeton tech, which I have some of and, Um, yeah, so there's, it's really cool to not only look at a category that you may be interested in, but also even discover new categories like, oh, I didn't know it was possible to buy USA for that Mm -hmm. specific thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, you kind of take for granted. There's so many hunting rifles, great hunting rifle brands and bow archery brands, but yeah, it's just all over the place. There's American made. Uh, flashlights and headlamps and all that yeah yeah so talking about hunting uh you and i were chatting here over the fall and you killed a great elk um yeah honestly we haven't chatted about the story so yeah nice into it. was it a was it a a general tag for you was it something you've been yeah. putting in for what's the backstory it's a general tag uh just over the counter public land hunt it's actually pretty close to where I live you now within an hour drive. And then, you know, you have hours of hiking. It's pretty deep in there. Um, and I've been hunting this area for uh, probably almost around like 10 years. 
And it's a phenomenal area. It just, you know, it's deep enough that you don't get as many hunters, but you get surrounding pressure and it just pushes animals into the, these couple drainages. When um, you say surrounding pressure, is that only hunting pressure or just recreationally as well? Uh, you could say not as much recreationally. It's kind of funny over the years, you know, like ultra marathon <laughs> runner, okay. running has gotten bigger. So you, you sometimes see like this random runner on, yeah. on the trail. Um, if you're, if you're on the main trail, but you get away from the trail and, and get away from, you know, where you start, you know, like just a couple miles, three miles is where you get the most pressure of hunting and you keep going beyond that. My hunting area is like, eight miles in um and you don't get much pressure at all from hunters or or any anyone you don't see many people hardly at all um you know sometimes you're not going to see any people at all Mm -hmm. uh which is ideal and yeah there are some big ass gnarly elk in there (laughs) uh like this this guy i took i've been following for a couple of years i think he's the same gotta be the same bull i i had only seen him i got about 60 yards away from him last year never had a clear shot in the woods um he never seems to want to come very close to calls pretty smart bull um but this was the year <laughs> finally happened yeah what's um <laughs> Do you feel like you did something different this year strategically or just that you, you kind of caught him at the right place at the right time. And he, you know, he slipped up and gave you an opportunity essentially. Um, definitely did something a bit different. I was, I really lucked out too. that I I'm usually just hunting alone. And I mean, I almost had my chance last year. I got close enough just, didn't have the luck getting a window. Um, but this year is just kind of crazy uh, how it all worked out. Because I can just kind of start from the beginning yeah. uh, of this hunt. So I backpacked in there alone. Um, this is like mid-September. So I think like September 15th, 16th. I was going to spend like five days at that time. Um, and I got there in the night and blew some, some bugles and didn't get any response. I had, you know, I'd been hunting this area and, and some others for a couple of weeks, but I knew that they were in there around there, but I didn't get any response. So a little worried, went to bed, um, got up and started up this ridge line, you know, like an hour before, sunrise and I was working my, my way along this ridge uh like a mile down the ridge I bu- blew a bugle and I got a really faint response uh across canyon probably like I don't know a mile away maybe even a little more quite a ways so I kept working my way along that ridge went down into this area where I often see elk I ended up bumping <laughs> Uh, an elk and a, and a few cows uh, in this big open area and, and 
quickly called after him and got responses of him. And he just kept on receding and receding bugles, getting a little softer. And that was just disappointing and sad for me. Damn. (laughs) Been there. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, but that was not the area where I heard that faint bugle really early in the morning. So it's probably like, I don't know, 10 a.m. now. So I keep working my way. I'm now down bottom of the drainage. And uh, I work my way up this big drainage now towards kind of a side drainage of where I heard that bugle. And it's kind of funny, this, this bugle, where it came from, is the area where I shot uh, my previous elk um, two years prior. Uh, so I start working my way up there. I'm completely out of water now. This place is pretty sparse for water. There's like little, you know, little water holes, which are awesome places to watch for elk. And that's kind of why they, they uh, congregate around there. I make my way up to that drainage blow a bugle up that drainage and immediately I get this nice, nice big response screaming back. All right. He's he's up there. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that guy. Uh, But first I need to go get water. I also heard with that, that bugle, I hear this little crappy bugle is obviously human. (laughs) Just like, uh, I don't know, like a hundred yards up this main drainage from me. So I, I go up there. There's this little start trickle of a creek where I, I'm going to get my, my water. Uh, as I'm passing by this, this nice uh, mud wallow water hole, uh, this guy blows a little cow call up the side of the hill. And I wave to him. He waves back. I go get my water fill up, have some, have some food and, uh, make my way back. And he's, he's up on the side hill, like, um, I don't know, like 20 yards up this side hill, just sitting on that wallow waiting for elk. And I go up there and and start chatting with him. I thought I would just be there for like five minutes, you know, or, (laughs) Uh, talking to this guy. Turns out the guy's just really awesome. Tyson Sugihara. Uh, <laughs> so glad I met this guy. Uh, so we, we end up sitting there and chatting for quite a while, like half an hour. And in meanwhile, you know, I tell him about, did you, did you hear that bull? And, and we start bugling a little bit. He's bugling and, and getting responses out of that that bull and and some others in that side drainage close to us and we start hearing this this bugle coming closer towards the the water hole i say you know you've been here this is your spot you take this this bull if it comes up right here and i'll just uh sit quiet and and uh sure enough just bugle back and forth. This bull gets a little closer, a little closer. It's thick woods across, uh, across from us. And then kind of this nice little open clearing of a uh, water hole with some pines around it, you know, 
and uh, just a perfect 50 yard open lane to it's like two little mud water holes and there's so much sign so much track in there it's, they've been using it a ton you know um so this bull just keeps getting a little closer a little closer goes silent for like 10 minutes and we're just watching this hole and sure enough an a pretty good size five by five just appears on this little water hole silent as could be it just bam <laughs> shows up right there we heard some some sticks crack you know on the way so we knew it was making its way but pretty much quiet so tyson draws back and i have my range finder i'm looking through my little range finder it's like it's 4x magnification mm-hmm. and i just watch his arrow he releases watch this arrow just bury itself kind of in the shoulder area going downwards um definitely is going to be you know top of the lungs but nice trajectory through both lungs hits nice and that bull you know leaps goes into the woods ways and you know kind of a kind of a higher lung shot we're going to give it an hour but meanwhile you know i want to go after this other elk (laughs) so that was awesome you know tyson's shot his elk uh, really cool guy. He has a couple buddies up there um, that he radios to. Uh, one of them, Bo, who is an awesome guy. He's guided for a long time. He's no longer guiding, but uh, he guided hunts for a really long time. Um, so he calls to him, lets him know he, he took a shot on this elk and that there are other elk bugling that I want to go after. So we tell him to, you know, kind of be be aware that there's elk in the area and and uh, come over and, and we got an elk down, you know. So Bo makes his way over. I tell him I want to go up this drainage and and take one of these elk and and he's like yeah awesome uh i'll help you out any way that i can and we start making our way over to this other drainage you you know we can kind of bypass that area where the that other elk uh left went into into the woods so we're not going to bump that um you know so we start making our way over to the side drainage where our, we heard the elk previously. And I'm, I'm blowing bugles every now and then, and, and we're still getting a response out of him. So I, I tell him, and I, I'm going to be completely frank, like I, I've been more of a, a rifle hunter all my life. And I let him know, you know, this is going to be my first archery bull. He's like, oh, yeah, fuck, yeah, we're going to get this guy. This is he's going down. <laughs> so super excited. Um, Bo and I start ma- making our way up the drainage. He's calling, you know, 
we get into a, a position where I have big windows for a shot. He starts calling really hard, uh, you know, raking really hard. And this bull won't budge, won't come down at all. Uh, in fact, the bull starts moving away very slowly, but we can tell that it's, it's going up the drainage a ways. This is probably like, mm, like 6 p.m. now. So we start making our way a little closer up, um, see if we can get into position and, and see it. And so it kind of becomes this back and forth. We're moving up. It's moving a little ways away and we're, you know, bugle super hard, raking hard. And he just keeps going up. Meanwhile, we do have a satellite, little satellite bull that came within like 70 yards, kind of covered up in the, in the, the forest. Um, and I don't know. I, I wanted to get a big, a big bull at this time, but I'm, I'm more of a meat hunter. I don't know, maybe I would have taken that little, it wasn't a spike, but a little young bull. It would have been real tasty. <laughs> um, but, and I, I, and I have to say, I didn't know that this was the non-typical, you know, gnarly ass bull that it was this time. I hadn't gotten eyes on it. So this little bull comes and then he, he slips away. We, we hear some cows calling and little calf responding uh but this this big bull he ends up stalling uh, i mean like a third of the way down from the the top of the mountain pretty pretty high up there so we work our way work our way and decide we're gonna go you know a little bit parallel on this little side drainage we're gonna go kind of parallel to him and kick up a real ruckus and see if we can get him to come to us. Um, so we do that. We're probably like, we can hear him bugling like a hundred yards, only like a little over a hundred yards away, covered in aspen, kind of, it's like aspen and, and pines, conifers mixed in. So, I get into position, have nice shooting lanes all around. Uh, and Bo's like, you know, 40 yards behind me is calling a whole bunch. And this bull just will not budge. You know, he's just sitting tight in these Aspen, super brushy, and he won't move. It's getting kind of late at this point. Uh, probably like, I don't know, 6.30, I, I don't know, what time did that, the sun go down at that time? Probably like 7.30. Um, so maybe it's, I don't know. But it's, it's getting a little tight for um, if something is going to happen. We want to make it happen. So I, I go over and, and talk with Bo a little more and decide, you know, I want to go try and crawl up as close as I can and see if I can get a shot on this bull. Oh, meanwhile, I have to also say there's this other, there's this other bull kind of near that bull making some funky sounds. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, like 
it just sounded really weird and kind of kind of like a half-hearted little bugle and then just like this little whine like just weird squealy stuff yes really and we were thinking well who knows maybe that's tyson's bull that that he shot uh we're hoping it wasn't turns out it wasn't but anyways uh there were a few bulls in that area it turns out but uh so i decided to go up this stuff is so thick it's like four foot high really thick brush with a bunch of aspen you know kind of nine bark and uh snowberry if you know what that is mm-hmm. and so I'm kind of just going as slowly and silently as I possibly can. Meanwhile, Bo's making a bunch of calls and trying to distract them. I get up, up fairly close. I'm like 45 yards away from where I, I think I hear this, this bull. And like 20 yards above me, I can see all this big brush just moving like crazy with another bull raking it thinking you know we have we have the wind in our favor it's it's pretty perfect you know it's going downhill down slope at this point getting late and but i'm thinking wow i'm real close to that one i really hope i don't spook that bull and spook them all before i can get a chance uh on this this big bull it's calling back so I, I go just a few yards further. I get this tiny little window that I can look and I see that bull that's calling back. He's in this small little clearing where it's just grass just outside of this stand of Aspen. Like we're like 10 yards outside of that little Aspen stand. He has this massive tree downed kind of in front of him, like a big block to the drainage downhill. So he's kind of, he's probably feeling pretty secure. He's in this nice little enclosed area. Um, and, as you know, I can tell he's a big bull, beautiful bull. Uh, but this is just this tiny little narrow window that I'm looking through with my rangefinder. Still, it's like not, it's pretty close. It's like 40 yards, you know, away from him. Um, but I move just five year, five yards up the hill a little bit. And I have this tiny window, like two by two foot window. And I can just see clearly to, he's completely broadside, see to his vitals. Meanwhile, I have that bull like 20 yards or less above me, just thrashing through the brushes. Meanwhile, the big bull's screaming, super exciting just yeah. oh, loved it and i i take my range finder range find it at 35 yards away perfect hole and and perfect uh view to the vitals so i draw back get it right on what i'm thinking is top of the heart and uh into the lungs as well and i release felt really good and watch the arrow bury that bull, you know, jumps up and, and moves forward. He only goes about 30 yards, and I can see intermittently he's, he's just kind of moving slowly. Oh, so I, I blow uh, a couple cow calls immediately. I have the diaphragm in my mouth, 
Mm-hmm. And he immediately calmed down after uh, jumping at first. And he slowly, woozily uh, stumbles forward. And I watch his, um, I can see the top of his head, goes down slowly. He just beds down 30 yards from that shot. Oh, yes, that is just, it doesn't get much better than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's getting pretty late now. Um, it's a little little bit darker, uh, but there's still light, you know, to see pretty well by. I decide, I, I watch, I can see his head. I've, I've moved a little bit out of this uh, Aspen stand. I can see his head just sitting there, um, looking at, he's kind of just laying there looking around. And I decide, you know, this looks so calm, maybe against my better judgment, <laughs> I decide, I think I can get another arrow into him and why not? You know, he's, he's not very far. I can be pretty quiet. I think I can do this. So I end up crawling up a ways. I have this big, huge tree that, that's downed. I crawl along this, this tree. I have a bunch of bushes, you know, between him and me. Um, crawl up, get up next to this, this bush and look past it. And I see him. He's only like 30 yards away uh, or less than that even. Um, just bedded down. Meanwhile, Bo below me has no idea what's going on, you know. <laughs> he's like... He, he thought maybe he heard a shot, but he couldn't really tell. He starts blowing turkey calls, or not blowing, but scratching turkey calls. And um, just to see, like, hey, what's what's going on? What are you up to? Um, and that bull is kind of looking around like, what's going on? Uh, I think, well, I'd like to get this bull to stand up. And I can respond to Bo with cow calls, just let him know where I am, what I'm doing. And, you know, maybe these cow calls will get that bull to stand up. Uh, So I do a couple cow calls. That bull does stand up pretty slowly. And he starts walking away from me, um, just directly away, which of course isn't isn't a shot at all. He moves off probably like like 45 yards or so, something like that. And I blow a couple more cow calls. And he looks back, turns completely broadside. I pull back. And it is really pretty dark at this time. (laughs) It's kind of, it's pretty dark. I can see my pin. Um but not that well. And I didn't really have time to do a range finding. So I estimate, I still have my pin. It's a single pin, uh, an HHA uh, Tetra, you know, slider. I have it set to 35 yards. So I know it's a little off. So I, I, I aim high, kind of hold on the, the back, top of the back in line with the heart. And I could barely see the pin. It's a little bit of a Hail Mary, I'll admit. And I release. I hear it thwack and hit. I know it's a hit. The bull turns away pretty slowly and just meanders away from me. Woozily, you know, wobbly. So I know, you know, 
it's it's all good. He's not going to go very far. Either way, I probably didn't need to take that second shot, but you know, I did. So I, I, I head down towards Bo, do some more some more cow calls, let him know I'm I'm coming towards him, and I meet up with him and we fist bumps. Like, yeah, this this bull is freaking awesome, and he's he's going to be down. I I bet he's just going to go in. We we could see. We could both look up drainage and see he's just making his way straight into this little patch of trees. Um, pretty much right after I met up with Bo, I heard I heard a crash. So I was thinking, yeah, he's he's already crashed. Um, not far at all. It was like I don't know, like a hundred yards from the first shot. Uh, so we head down to towards Tyson, who got that, who shot the five by five earlier. And we go and, and he's only, his bull only went like 70 yards up the hill from the shot and dropped. So we clean his bull, um, go back to camp. And, you know, it's like 2 a.m. in the morning now. <laughs> I, I probably eventually get to bed at like 3 a.m. Anyways, uh, get up early in the morning just because I couldn't. I mean, I wish I could have slept in a bit. There was no rush, you know. Get up in the morning, head down the, the drainage, and I see Bo is already uh, cleaned off the skull, and he's just sitting next to it. Tyson, meanwhile, was was sleeping in bed as I passed their tent. They they ended up camping only like a couple hundred yards away where I set up my my tarp. I didn't even have a tent just to save on weight at that time. It was good weather at that time. But um, yeah, so I went up to go clean my bowl, go see where it was. And, you know, it had only gone like 100 yards or so from where I had first shot it. And it did go down right where I thought it had in kind of this edge of, of woods past a clearing where it was moving through and where I took that second shot. And, you know, I kind of took my breath away, just, oh my God, this thing is gorgeous. A six by six, non-typical, um, massive bull. It has yeah. these devil, six by devil six. Tines. If you're not counting extras. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It has these little devil tines, yeah. um, kind of a weird little, extra fork on one of the uh and it was like the g4 pine and the, it had this huge sword growing off the back side of the right antler um it's like i don't know two and a half foot sword coming off just gnarly uh jeans um it was even better than i thought it's like yeah this is probably the one that i've seen for past couple years like damn finally did it this is just Friggin' awesome. Yeah. Um, so happy. And you know, I get to work. Um, I get off one quarter and then uh Bo shows up and Tyson shows up and they had one other buddy um who was helping out. Oh, I think is Mark. Damn, I think it was Mark. <laughs> Same as your name. Um, but I only saw him for a little bit. Really nice guy. All those guys were just super awesome. I couldn't be more grateful, you know, yeah. having, having Bo's help. 
Um, I like to think I would have done the same either way, but just awesome have that. That help. is, that's so cool. Adding that to the story, just yeah. meeting those guys in the field, getting yeah, two holes just, down. Oh, that's neat, such, man. Such cool guys. Hope all. So they, they hunt this area too. I, I'm sure I'll probably see them in there again. Um, I wouldn't mind hanging out with them sometime too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just so lucky. I'd actually coordinated with a couple buddies, sent out texts um, over that night at the top of a ridgeline. I could still get some service just at the, the really high points. Um, and I sent out GPS and, you know, coordinated. I had a couple friends uh, show up to help pack out meat. So helpful. Cal yeah. and uh, Dean. God, you guys really, really came in. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it just went perfectly. Yeah. Clean and that's out your the first elk. archery bull? That's my first archery bull. I mean, I, I, I might not. Your ever... archery elk hunting career is kind of over <laughs> I know, <laughs> from, I know. from a trophy perspective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm mainly a meat hunter. Yeah. Um, I've taken some, some nice big muleys um, in the same area too. some nice four by fours, but as far as a, as a massive bowl, like, I don't know if I can top this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've mounted him European mount. Those guys were kind of upset that maybe I didn't do a, you know, a full mount or a shoulder mount, but uh, I love European mounts. They're yeah. Awesome. I'm and I, you know, it's really expensive to do a shoulder mount too, at least for mm. me. But yeah, either way, I love European mount, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, yeah, just super awesome day. <laughs> That's cool, hard, man. Hard for me to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, dude. That's fun to hear the story. I'd seen the pictures. Yeah, kind of, kind and... of a long one. No, it's cool. It's good to have the details and so neat, yeah. man. To meet guys in the field like yeah. that and quickly have success with them on both sides, right? Like you help them mm -hmm. a bit. And obviously yeah. it all started with you. I don't want to say being generous is the right word. It's probably not what you would call it, but like, <laughs> yeah, you know, friend, you just friendly. acknowledging like, Hey buddy, you were here first. This is your spot. Yeah. Bull comes in, it's yeah. yours type thing. Right. <laughs> I hope, I, I hope he wasn't, uh, and he shouldn't be, he, he took a nice bull a lot of meat that was that was a beautiful bull too but yeah. i hope they didn't feel like i was taking out that beautiful bull from them i don't think so they were super awesome i think they're real happy for me to you know connect sure. and bo was bo is so cool he's saying that he's like he's so happy just to uh you know be a part of that and help me take down that bull yeah um yeah that's and awesome. oh my god so this this spot where i shot that bull that was only like that was within 100 yards of where i shot my last elk <laughs> really yeah two years previously yeah so close and so that was kind of funny right we were just i was actually just chatting with uh some guys yesterday and we we're in that context talking about october and some rifle hunts and we were talking about the same thing because I killed a bull in October that was a few hundred yards from a bull I killed the same time of year, the prior uh -huh. year. And then these guys I were talking with had filled two tags and it was the same story. It's like within 
I think for them, it was two or 300 yards for me. It was like four to 500 mm-hmm. yards. And then you saying this, it's like, you find those pockets that yeah. aren't guaranteed, but no. you know, if you find those pockets where elk want to be, they want to be there. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's spots. kind of fun to get in there and repeat that success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty special spot. I'm, you know, I guard that spot even from, uh, most family members. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, man, it's been fun to chat, Matt. I appreciate the time. Um, we've obviously mentioned the gear guide and your Instagram and things like that, but just to quickly put that out there for listeners here at the tail end of the conversation, just want to kind of repeat and let guys know where they can find you, get in contact with you, check out some American made gear. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. So that's, it's just americangearguide.com. Is that correct? That's right. And then American yeah. Gear Guide as well on Instagram. Yeah, I'm at American Gear Guide on Instagram and yep, americangearguide.com. Perfect. Matt, it's mm-hmm. been fun. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with Matt. Don't forget to check out the americangearguide.com or follow Matt on Instagram to see more of what he is up to. You can also go back and see some pictures of that great bull that we discussed in this conversation. You can get those links in the show description, as well as the links for the EXO Experience giveaway and the link to get in contact with us if there's anything we can help you with or if you have a question for the show. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.